connection to style and strategy Isaiah 42 1 to 4 says here is my servant whom I uphold my chosen one and whom I delight I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out in faithfulness he will bring forth justice he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth in his teaching the islands will be will put their hope there are good styles and there are not so effective styles of evangelism if we can move on with the powerpoint please i think there is a video coming soon the next slide pass the scripture So this is not a very good style of evangelism. This is in front of the Global Atheist Convention in Melbourne, Australia. Dr. Rice was there and we just... He said is free. His blood can make the palace clean. these dynamics happen where people stand up and they, they want to proclaim the word of God that you know God hates this and God hates that well there is a heaven and a hell but the point of reference with Jesus with people especially engaging arguments people saying we have no evidence it's, it's as important that we engage them specifically and not fall into the caricature and the character stereotypes of this you always feel bad for your brothers that are doing the best they can based on what they know. But again, as we talk about starting conversation, you ask, asking questions, you're listening, you're telling the story. This is kind of the picture of the opposite version of that, talking, arguing, getting louder, and then uh, chaos with K. So anyway, but all things happen in their timing. We'll just trust right now that uh, these guys stay safe. So, you were deeply passionate about preaching the gospel and proclaiming it, meeting people at the point of contact, meeting at the point of their of their objections and arguments. Uh, but just loud screaming like this, I just have never really seen the benefit of it. strategies might have worked at some time it doesn't anymore screaming at people I'm standing in front of the global atheist convention and telling them oh you got here it's not gonna help anybody uh, it's not gonna open their hearts to the message of the gospel look the gospel is uncompromisable I have nothing to change to the message of the gospel it's the method that we need to look into I planted the church in Miami Florida one of the most unreached cities in America 97% of Miami does not go to church 97% uh, and I started my church on Florida International University, a campus of 52,000 students from all over the world. Extremely liberal. People, I think they need money because they don't have much money to buy clothes there. It's, I mean, it's a tough, tough place. And I remember going into the campus and how many good intended, loving Christians come from other states and stand with a microphone in the middle of FIU and yell at students, you 
and rebuke all their sins in front of them. And I've watched the students, how they mock them, how they dismiss them. It helps nobody. Now, here's what I did. I would sit in the mob that is ridiculing the preacher, and I approach a student and say, wow, that guy's really mad. Oh, yeah, he's, mad. he's terrible. I'm like, what is he talking about? He's like, he's talking about some kind of God. Said, what do you think about God? I don't know. Have you ever read about the Bible? No, I've never read about the Bible. Do you have time for coffee? Yeah, I'm just bored with that. Okay, let's go get coffee. Go to Starbucks on campus. Sit down. Open the God test and talk and lead them to Christ. Many times, yelling at people is not going to open their heart. But starting a conversation would make a difference. And I know we all know that. And this is obviously a caricature. But it has happened quite a bit. I mean, I've seen it at, at that particular campus so many times. Well-intended Christian, but thinking that telling people, you know, all the condemnation is going to is going to convince them to come back to Christ. It won't. People need hope. I had the honor and the opportunity, let's see, 1997, that would be 21 years ago, more or less. Yeah, 21 years ago. I had the honor to be in South Korea and minister there. And uh, Dr. Yonggi Cho, the pastor of one of the largest churches in the world, had a five-minute opening in his schedule and decided to meet with me for whatever reason. And I asked him, if you look at a young minister like me, what advice do you give me? And he said, two things. I can't give you one. I've got to give you two. So, okay, give me two. So, number one, make the Holy Spirit your senior partner. He's the boss. You're the follower. So, great. Number two, preach about hope. People never have enough hope. I've done that for the last 20 years. I always speak about hope. And there's power in talking about hope. People do not need to be scared. They need to find hope. It's like if this auditorium or church was completely dark the only way to cast out darkness is not to yell at it it's to flip on the switch turn on the light and the light will cast out the darkness that's the gospel that's the gospel okay so our strategy or our method of evangelism um, is called salt if we can move in the in the powerpoint as well salt like who's the pastor that Woody, is that your name? Okay, you did great. You, you, you need to come work with me. <laughs> um, Nashville is really cool. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not going to steal your leaders. Uh, so the method of salt, and we, the reason we call it salt is because it, Jesus said you are the salt of the world, right? I don't, I don't need to explain that. But it's also a good acronym. So S-A-L-T, start a conversation. S is start a conversation. We're going to go to the video in a second. Let me do the, the explaining first. Uh, start the conversation. A, ask questions. L, listen. And T, tell the story. Okay, now let's hear Rice, how he explains it. Can you click on the video, please? The SALT principle, uh, S-A-L-T. And, and it stands for, first of all, start a conversation. If you look at the Bible and you see how Jesus interacted with people, many times it was just basic conversations that he started. Uh, when it comes to evangelism or sharing your faith, somehow there's this almost feeling of an abrupt confrontation. And most of the time in our daily lives, there's just moments where there's a natural conversation starter. Now, you don't have to have a, a piece of paper or a tool in your hand to do that. That's just a skill you have as a human being. Uh, if you're a Christian, especially, you want to you engage the world around you and, and, and find out about them. So everything starts with a conversation. The A in the salt is ask questions. 
you'll find in the God test that there's a series of questions that you ask a person, uh, especially after they say they'd like to take the test. And in asking those questions, a person gets a chance to, to tell you what they think. The L of salt is listen. And boy, this is one of the most underestimated things that I can I could tell you about. And, uh, I get this picture in evangelism that we're we're kind of calling people up and trying to like on a like somebody at night when you're trying to have dinner that calls you on the phone and wants to sell you something and they start talking fast, knowing that you're going to hang up the phone. Uh, we're not we're not telemarketers. Uh, we're basically telling a story, which is the next part, the T part. But really, the listening part sets everything up as you genuinely listen to people. Uh, and listen to their answers. You're going to you're going to sense some amazing things. You're going to hear their story. You're going to hear their you're going to hear their their quandary. You're going to hear their concerns. You're going to hear their hurt, their pain. Uh, so much in ministry. So much in just the gospel and in life is just about listening to people. You can say to somebody that you love them, but I don't know of anything that's closer to to showing love than actually listening to somebody. They feel valued. They feel considered. And then you set up for the T part of S-A-L-T, and that's tell the story. The story is really about Jesus. The gospel is the story. Uh, the gospel is what explains to a person what's really wrong with us. It tells us what's, what's, what's wrong with the world. It tells us what's wrong in our souls. It tells about the brokenness. It tells about the fallenness of man. Uh, and then, but we also tell the story of, of the rescue, the great redemption story that God looked down into our brokenness and did something about it in sending his son, Jesus Christ. And so we tell the gospel story, but also we tell our story because the gospel happened to us. If you're a believer, then that story is personalized. It's contextualized in your own life story. So we want to start a conversation. We want to ask questions, which the God test will give you those questions, listen to people, and then tell the story. I brought some of these. Did, did you get one of those? I wanted to. Ha I wanted you to have the God test. And um, if you have a smartphone, there's also an, an app you can download on the App Store or the Google Play Store. It's a free app called the God Test. Um, we also have another app. I'll talk about it later about the evidence for God. But this helps us. The God Test have become the largest global survey on God. Over 2 million people have taken the God test so far. Uh, I can't remember the exact amount of nation. Last time I checked, it was 125, but I haven't checked in the last month, so they keep growing. Uh, but 125 nations at least, people have done the God test. And, and people are interested because this is not threatening. Instead of, you know what, let me pause here and share with you a story from my own life. So when I was living and pastoring in Bolivia, um, ministry in Beaumont, Texas, invited me to do a translation of a training from English to Arabic. Uh, the preacher was a friend of mine. He said, look, I want to introduce this to the Muslim world. Can you do the video translation? Come to my church. We have the studio. I said, great. They put me in a nice hotel. It was easy work. I mean, hard work, but basically sit down on a chair, look at a video, and for 12 hours translate till my brain was fried. And then at night, I would go to the hotel and sleep. And one night, I decided, I want to go somewhere. I'm just tired of being here by myself. Uh, let me go to the closest Walmart. 
And I, I looked at the map, and it was about five miles. I thought, eh, I can do that. I didn't have a car. I walked the five miles to Walmart. What I didn't know is that Bowman don't have place for people to walk. It's all for cars. So it was really dangerous <laughs> to walk all the way there because there was no, you know, it was just all designed for cars. When I got there, I decided I'm not going to walk back. I'm going to find a good Samaritan to drive me to the hotel because I want to arrive safely. I get into Walmart. I'm walking, and a very kind gentleman, uh, older gentleman, approaches me. Literally, I'm not exaggerating. He approaches me and says, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And I knew he wants to preach, so I was not going to interrupt him. I just sat quietly and let him. He, he had the four spiritual laws and the whole speech, and I listened to him, and I was like, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. I still didn't say anything about being a believer. I didn't want to offend him. I'm visiting the country. But at the end of his speech, I said, uh, sir, I need help. I need to get back to my hotel. It's five miles away. And I really can't walk. It was dangerous to come here. Can you kindly take me to my hotel? He said, no, I'm too busy. Now, if I was an unbeliever, do you think I would ever believe that guy? He's a good Christian. He just didn't have any clue. That's not the way to preach the gospel. Don't just, no, do something for people. You know what I'm saying? So that, that's true. That happened to me. Now, I do the exact opposite. The way I start the conversation is serving people. So S, start the conversation. I don't start by poking people. I don't start by, I start by serving in one way or the other. Depend on where I am. If I'm in an airplane or if I am in a coffee shop or if I'm in the gym. I mean, I, I go to the gym. I, after a good workout at the gym, sometimes I like to go to the sauna because it relaxes the muscles before I go to my office and you know if you've ever been to a sauna it's a it's a it's a very very hot room and it's enclosed so i developed a strategy to share the gospel in the sauna i mean there's always other people there usually sitting there i was like man it's hot in here that's my opening line is like yeah it's really hot it seems like today is hotter than the other days i was like yeah it's really hot today I was like can you imagine if it's hot like that forever i was like no that would be terrible yeah man that was really bad now, by the way, what do you think about eternity? Have you ever thought about these things? And they start talking. And we start the conversation. Not too deep. It takes me a while. But if I'm going to be there anyway, why don't I share the gospel? Why not? We start the conversation by engaging people on their level. Don't start heavy. Don't start with, are you sure you're going to heaven? Don't start with the gospel. Start with a simple conversation like my coffee shop strategy of buying somebody their coffee or allowing somebody to stand in front of you in line small things like that because our culture have gone so far away from it acts of kindness open people's heart to a conversation because otherwise how do we start the conversation i mean i had even in nashville that is a very nice city people are nice i mean people are nice in nashville but we just had really tough neighbors. I mean, they were really tough and big smokers. And I have, I'm sensitive against smoke. And I'm just trying to think, how can I engage my neighbor? What can I do? Uh, and on top of everything, the lady was a board member of the homeowner association. And she was always picking on my grass. No, your grass is too tall. No, it's not cut. Every day. Uh, and I was like, Lord, how can I engage them? I don't want just to be a good neighbor. I want to find a way to share the gospel with them. And one day, for whatever reason, 
we were talking about my grass as usual, and she was like, well, today's our 38th anniversary with my husband, but he's working. I was like, that's it. I went and bought them the best gift card I could and the nicest wording, and my wife and I went and knocked on their door and gave it to them. And tears in their eyes. Nobody had given them any gift. They're obviously not the nicest people. Uh, but that's irrelevant. They need Jesus. <laughs> they need Jesus. And, and that gift card... Two days later, they came to my house to thank me. And that was the opportunity to start sharing the gospel with them. Are you with me? So we start the conversation not by going to the deep theological issues of Calvinism and Arminianism. And that's not going to help anybody. We started by small things. Doing something for people. Start the conversation. Engage people at their level. If it's, if it's a server, if it's somebody working with you. Now, I recognize that I have been doing this all my life, and for some people it doesn't come as easy. Uh, but the way I started was asking God, believe it or not, I'm actually an incredible introvert. I'm not extrovert at all. If it depends on me, my favorite vacation is a book sitting on, in, on the beach and nobody talks to me. That's, I, I like to be in solitude. So I'm an odd person for God to choose to be an evangelist. I really don't like, I like to be just by myself. It's not about me. It's about the gospel and the mandate. So if I can do it, anybody can do it. What I've started doing is like saying, Lord, please help me. I mean, I know, I know they need Jesus, but I really, really don't want to talk to them. I just want to read my book. I'm enjoying my meal. Please let this one go. Send somebody else. But God kept saying, you're called to do this. You have to do it. This is your mandate. So start the conversation. Find ways to start a simple conversation about whatever it is. You know your situation. You know your city better. This is my first time in Oklahoma City. I don't understand the culture here. But you know, how can I engage my neighbor? How can I engage my friend? How can I engage the homeowner association where I live or the apartment complex where I live? How can I engage them? There is always a way. There is always a way. Once you've started the conversation, once you've started the conversation, once you establish the relationship, then we go to ask questions. Again, I usually ask simpler questions at the beginning. I don't start with, have you heard about the God test right away? Because that might scare some people. I start with smaller questions. Um, I'll, I'll tell you my secret. I ask people about where are they from? Because I usually bump into people with different type of accent. And because I understand many languages, you have a Latin accent. Habla español. And people, you know, they react. So, where are you from? That's my go-to question. That might not work for you, but that's what worked for me. Um, and and that, that, that helped me to start getting into, into other questions. Uh, start with a simple question. Maybe about the weather. Maybe about whatever. And right away, now I don't leave it for the next meeting, for the next day. Right away, I tell them, if I'm going to use the God test, uh, do you have two minutes? I ask people permission. I actually ask them permission. Do you have two to three minutes? And say, why? Well, I have a global survey on God. And I would love to ask you a couple of questions because we're trying to see globally what do people believe. What I have found is that people like to talk more than they like to listen. Now, you guys are an amazing crowd, but you came to church. You're expecting somebody will talk to you. But out there, 
people prefer to talk more than to listen. So when I ask them question, I tear down a great barrier. Here's what's happening. Again, not y'all. Y'all awesome. When somebody's teaching or speaking, the person receiving is actually taking the time to analyze, is this right or not, and criticizing it and trying to find every mistake the person is saying. That's just human nature. Not Christians, but human nature. Okay? When I was on campus studying, I was listening to my professors, and I'm trying to find out every mistake they're saying. And I found a lot. <laughs> right? So that's human nature. But when you ask the person to talk, they don't think they talk. So the barrier of you're wrong, I'm right, falls down, and their heart starts opening. So when I ask the question, I ask them the question, and I let them answer. And if you look at the God test, side A or side B, we're going to talk about it a little more in the next session. I'm not going to teach the whole God test, uh, but I'm going to explain it a little bit. When you ask them the questions, here's what I do. I let them answer, and none of the answers make me angry. Now, you've got to make that covenant with God. Don't get angry at the answer. Don't get frustrated at the answer. You're going to hear all kinds of answers. I mean, I asked a person, do you believe in God? And he said, yes. I said, how you describe him? And he said, you're looking at him. He believed he was God. Like, okay, I have a lot of questions for you. <laughs> if you're God, I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> I'm at, look, I, I worked in Miami. I've heard all kind of ridiculous responses. But I've had to train myself. I'm not going to respond. I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to keep a smile and listen. Because I want them to say what's on their heart. I want them to defend their position, to share their position. Especially when you're talking to young people, just, just let them answer the question. So number one, I start the conversation by doing an act of kindness, by approaching the person, giving them my food in the airplane, whatever, whatever it is. But you start the conversation. Let, let me recap the starting of the conversation in that. I'm sure some men here like to fish. How many of you like to fish? Okay, have you... I've lived in Miami. I've seen a lot of fishermen. I've never fished myself. I've seen a lot of them. Have you ever seen in your experience, in fishing experience, any time that the fish jump out of the water and look, where's the fisherman to take me? Have ever, ever happened? It never does, right? The fishermen go to the fish. The evangelists go to the lost. They're not going to come to us. We approach them. We start the conversation. We fish that's why jesus told peter you're going to be a fisher of men you got to go to where they are in their situation and start talking once once we started the conversation ask questions first a couple of just simple questions where are you from what language do you speak or uh you know what do you like or something like that and once a little bit of familiarity then hey can i can i ask you a few questions about god are you religious? No, no. I, I just have a global survey that over 2 million. This is a great answer. I have a global survey that over 2 million people in the world took. And we're gathering the data because we genuinely want to know what people believe. And I'm not lying. I genuinely want to know. I want to know what they believe because if I don't know where is the problem, how can I give them the medicine? It's like going to the doctor. The doctor asks you a question, right? 
So where does it hurt? It's like, you're the doctor. You better know. No, he does not know. He needs you to tell him, this is what hurt me. This is what happened. These are the symptoms. So he can prescribe a medicine. So we ask them these questions. And I tell them, I sincerely want to know, what do you believe? And after asking the questions, which we're going to talk about more in detail, listen. Now, God has given us two ears, right? Okay? In the natural, you need two ears to hear everything. In the spiritual, I believe the same. I listen to the person with my ear, and I listen to the Holy Spirit with the other ear. Why? Because when the person is responding to the question, does God exist? Do you believe in God? Da, 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 da. They're giving me their version of what they believe. There is usually hurt. If they don't believe, there is usually disappointment. They usually prayed for somebody when they were little and God didn't respond or something like that, in their mind at least. So I'm asking the question and I'm listening because they're going to give me the problem. They're going to give me the diagnosis I need to know so I can prescribe the solution to them. So I'm not just asking and making the time pass. No, I'm actually and actively listening. How many husbands are here? If you forget everything I said, this is the one thing that makes marriage amazing. Listen. <laughs> I'd rather know. <laughs> it's, not, it's not easy for us men, right? It's not easy, but that's the secret. Just listen. The wife will tell you everything you need to know. And just say, yes, ma'am. And it's going to be a happy life. Anyway, um, seminar of marriage, it's another day. Today we're in evangelism. <laughs> So when you listen, you're going to find out what is the pain. What's causing them to reject the gospel or to question God. And we can talk about some of the hurdles. Um, in my experience, the biggest one is the problem of evil. Everywhere I go in the world, that is the number one problem. Not every time, but the number one that ranks number one. Why people don't believe there's too much evil in the world. How could a good God create a world with so much evil? That is the question that people have. And I listen to that with sincere, I mean, I'm sincerely listening. I know the answer to that one, but I want, I want them to express it. Because that's a real frustration. That was my frustration. Why there's so much evil in the world? I mean, if you've never left America, you probably haven't seen the greatness of evil in our world. But I've traveled enough to incredibly poor places and I've seen terrible evil, like heartbreaking evil. The reality is that there is an answer for that. And one of my responses when it's my time to talk is like, how do you know it's evil? If God does not exist, if you believe that we're here by ourselves, why do you call what you call evil? What is the measure? I mean, if I tell you this line is crooked, is because I've seen the straight line, right? But if there's no straight line, who says that line is crooked? There's no straight line. So if you're saying this is evil, against what are you comparing it? If there's no God, then there's no absolute truth. And if there's no absolute truth, then what does the word evil even mean? It means nothing. If we're all animals, you know, when, when a lion eats a zebra, that's not a crime scene. That's what animals do. But when a human being kills another human being, that's a crime scene. Why? Because there is morality inside of us. 
We fight it, but it's there. There is something that God has put in us. So when somebody comes with the question of evil, and, and I, took, I took an entire course of three months reading all kind of atheistic books on evil just to be able to be more prepared to answer that question because I found it's serious. It's deep in young people's heart today. Why is there so much evil in the world? But there's an answer for it. But see, if I don't know that that's the problem of the person I'm talking to, how can I answer them? Does that make sense? So I ask the question and I listen. And I know when we get into each one of these questions, you might think this is incredibly complicated. It's not. I never pretend to know what I don't know. I, I, I probably have done the God test and evangelism thousands of times. I'm not exaggerating. But there have been many times that I didn't have the answer for the person's question. Here's what I did. That's a great question. It's heartbreaking. I don't have the answer for you. But here's what I can promise you. If you give me one week, I'm going to go find out the answer. And I'll meet with you next week at this same time as this coffee shop. I'm buying coffee. And I'll give you the answer. So I'm getting meeting number two with them. And I'm going to find out the answer from somebody that's smarter than me. I'll learn from myself. And I go to the second meeting and help that person. We don't need to know everything. My first evangelism was at one day of being born again to my colleague at the tourist shop that I told you about, 65-year-old man. And all I knew was John 3.16. And he asked me, he asked me at the end, what does it mean? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. How can God have a son? That was his question. He was Muslim. I had no idea. I just knew the verse. I said, that's an amazing question, man. Let me answer you tomorrow because it's too late now. And I didn't know, I mean, I was 15, just one day born again. And I went and asked the person that spoke to me about Christ, that young man that knocked on my door, explain this to me. And he explained it to me, and the next day I explained it to the gentleman and helped to lead him to Christ, helped to explain the gospel to him. Does that make sense? We don't need to know the whole Bible, don't need to have the green theology, just the willingness to ask, listen, and what I don't know, I don't know. Let me think about it. I'll come back with an answer to you. Are, are, are we together so far? Okay, so ask questions. I'm sorry, start the conversation. Ask questions. Listen. Now, we're listening to the person. I spoke a lot about that because they're going to give us away what's the problem. But number two, I'm listening to the Holy Spirit because we, we believe in the Holy Spirit, right? It's God with us and God in us. And Jesus said, he's going to help you to fulfill the mission because he's there to glorify me. So I'm just asking my friend, the Holy Spirit, Lord, what's the problem with this gentleman? Help me, please help me to find the pain so I can help him to find the solution. How much do you think God loved people? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. I showed you the picture of my child. I love you all, but there's no way in the world I'm going to give one of her hair for you, much less give her life for you. No way in the world. I don't love you, I don't love you that much. She's the most important person in the world for me, my wife and my daughter. And Jesus is God's son, but God gave his only begotten son on the cross because he loved the world. He loves the lost way more than you and I love them. So when I ask the Holy Spirit, Lord, what's wrong with them? He's ready to help me. Are, are you with me? Are we following so ask the person, but also ask the Lord and listen. God is going to give you something. I, I, I can't, you know, 
sharing the gospel is like cooking. There is recipe, but then there is the art of cooking. I can give you the exact same recipe, and your flavor is going to be different than mine. So I can't explain how God is going to speak because he does it different with each one of us. But he will. You're going to have your own flavor, but he's going to help you if you ask him. And finally, once you started the conversation, you asked the questions. At the end of the 10 questions of the God test, there's one question that says, would you like to know what I think or what the Bible think about these things? I asked them permission again. Now, since the person had been talking for a few minutes, when I asked them permission, usually 99% of time, not always, but 99% of time people say, okay. So I asked them, would you like to hear my opinion now? I've heard yours. Would you like to hear my opinion? It, it, it got to be somebody that's very mean <laughs> to say no. Most people say, okay, but I got only one minute. That's fine. That's all I need. Because once I start talking, they're not leaving them. They're going to hear, hear me. Okay, so the T is for tell the story. And you just heard Dr. Rice talking about tell the story. I'm going to explain the gospel in a minute. But before I say the gospel, I share my story. Do you, you remember my story I shared at the beginning of this seminar? I have a one-minute version of it. I tell my story. I was an atheist. I didn't believe in God. I couldn't sleep because I thought I'm going to die while I'm asleep. And one day I challenged God, if you exist, I give you 15 days to show up. I just shared my story Three weeks ago, I was in Iceland, and the leading atheist of the nation, the guy that translated the book for one of the most famous atheists in the world, I mean, is a complete atheist, but that leading atheist in the nation loves Egypt. When he found out I'm Egyptian, he said, when I go to Egypt, tour guide, take me to the pyramids. I'm going to show you my country with a lot of pride. He said, great, please. So he took me all around his country for free. I got a free tour guide. And for seven hours, I sat with him in the car, and I shared my story with him. I said, I know you don't believe in God. You don't have to, but let me share my story. <laughs> and I shared my story with him. And here's how we ended the conversation. If God can show up with me like he showed up with you, I will believe. I said, you know what? That's all I'm going to do for you. I'm going to pray every day that God shows up. Because if he did it with me, he's going to do it for you. I have no doubt that my next trip, this man is going to be walking with Christ. Just share your story. Not always you're going to have seven hours with somebody in the car. Sometimes it's going to be just a minute. But you have a story. You've heard mine. You have a story. How did God change your life? Summarize your story in maximum two minutes. This is how I was. This is how I found about Christ. And this is how my life changed. Simple. When you tell your story in our world today, in the, in the world of postmodernism or post-Christianity post as they call it, People cannot get mad at you for your experience because today's people believe that if it's good for you, okay. Now, the reason I share it is not because it's good for me. The reason I share it is because it's the power of God for salvation. But they cannot get offended because that's my story. So share your story. How were you? How Christ changed you? And how are you today? Once you finish saying that, here's, here's my tagline. That is why I believe... And I go into the gospel. Here's the gospel. The gospel is that God became man in Christ. The gospel is the good news. That God became man in Christ. 
he lived, if he could just click on all of it so we can read it. I don't like those uh, fill in the blank thing. It's not my favorite, but it's, it's there. Okay, so the gospel is the, the good news that God became man in Christ, lived the life we should have lived, died the death we should have died in our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he's the son of God and offering the gift of salvation and forgiveness of sins to anyone who repents and believes in him. That's the summary of the gospel. Now, you can say it in your own words, but my respectful advice for you, at least memorize that. I got it memorized. I have a few tweaks to it, but I can say that the gospel is the good news, that God became man in Christ. He's the power of the term gospel. It doesn't rest on human ability. God became man in Christ. Are, are, you, are you following me? Jesus Christ is not God Jr. And we're going into theology here. Amen. Jesus Christ is not creation. He's not an archangel. He is not little God. No, 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 no. God, the fullness of God, became man in Christ. All God is in Christ. We're not following a man. We're following the incarnate God, the greatest miracle of all time. I mention it, and that provokes people questions. Because I preach to a lot of Muslims. They fly when they hear that. Wait, I hear Christians say that Jesus is the Son of God, but you're saying He's actually God? Oh yeah, He's God. He ain't God Jr. Because what Muslims think, now let me tell you a little bit of missiology. What Muslims think when you say that Jesus is the Son of God, please forgive me, I'm not being heretical. This is what they think. They think that Jehovah God has had relationship with Mary, and that's how Jesus was born. That's what they think that we're saying. That's why I take the whole son out of the picture. I said, no, no, no. God became man in Christ. It's God himself. And that's what we believe, right? We believe that the incarnation of Jesus Christ is the whole divinity was in him. It wasn't a piece of the divinity. It was God himself that became man in Christ. And then he lived the life we should have lived. What does that mean? He lived the life we should have lived. Is he lived a 100% holy life, sinless life. It's what we should have lived. And then I, if the person asks, I explain, you and I should live without sin, but we do things that we don't like, right? I mean, you, you know, right? We do things that we shouldn't do. Yeah. But Jesus lived the life that's completely sinless. And if the person is by any chance from another religion, it makes my life a little bit easier. You know that Jesus is more respected in Islam than in many Christian circles? They don't consider him God, but they refer to him as our Lord Isa, our Lord Jesus. You know, Quran says that at the end of time, the Lord Jesus will come back and govern the earth with an iron fist. That is what their book says. It's like, why is it Muhammad that's going to govern? Why is it Jesus? That's, how, that's the question I ask. Help them to answer it. You probably don't have a huge crowd of Muslims in Oklahoma City, but if you have, they're great people to talk to. FYI, not all of them are terrorists. I'm, and I know I'm in a Christian circle, but many times when I start speaking to people, I say, hi, I'm Egyptian, and I'm not a terrorist. It's a good opportunity to share the gospel. So anyway... Uh, you know, God became man in Christ, lived the life we should have lived, sinless life. Then died the death we should have died. What do you mean? I deserve to die on a cross. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We've done a lot of bad things in our lives. We deserve to die. But Jesus chose to die 
in our place instead of me. He died so I don't have to die. That's the gospel. God became man in Christ, lived the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died in our place. That's the breaking point in the conversation usually with me. Because that's when the person asks me and says, what do you mean by in our, in our place? Do you mean I'm going to suffer too? Like, I think that is true if you don't believe in the gospel. And I start to explain these things to him. Yes, without the help of the world that is Jesus Christ in the gospel, you and I have no other hope, no other possibility. He died in our place. He paid the cost of our sin. I'm, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know you know all these things, but most people don't know them. On the third day, he rose from the dead, dead proving that he is God himself. He's the son of God. He rose from the dead. He rose. He rose. Muhammad's still dead. Buddha's still dead. Jesus rose from the dead. You know, I don't believe in Jesus because the Bible says so. I believe in the Bible because Jesus said so. There's a big difference. And I'm a, I look, I love the Bible. I'm a Bible student. I've been I taught theology all my life. I love the Bible. But I don't believe in Jesus because of the Bible. I believe in the Bible because of Jesus. Because even if you don't read the Bible, Jesus of Nazareth existed, lived, died, and rose from the dead. There is enough historical evidence to prove that. I'm not a salesman. This is not a sales pitch. But buy Man Myth Messiah. Go on Amazon. Get Man Myth Messiah. That Rice Road. He summarized it in a very memorable way. The historical evidence that lead to the resurrection. Because Jesus rose from the dead. And I believe so. I believe every word in the Bible. Because Jesus rose from the dead. That's highly important. He rose from the dead on the third day. And because he rose from the dead, he's offering free salvation and forgiveness of sins to all who believe. That's the gospel. You mean all I need to do is believe? Yeah. But that sounds simple. It sounds, but it's not. It sounds simple. But actually believing is incredibly difficult. Because human nature is, I've got to do something. We are trained to, this costs a dollar. He gave it to me for free. What does he want from me? You know what I'm saying? That's our human nature. I mean, I know you didn't want anything. You know what I'm saying? That's human nature. Why? We are trained to think of what is, it, what is that going to cost me? And when somebody tells you there's no tricks, there's no gimmicks, nothing. This is 100% and absolutely free. All you need to do is to receive it and say thank you. It's against human nature to receive that. We're not used to that. We're always thinking, they want my money. They're tricking me. There's something fishy there. No, there's nothing fishy. He did all the work. He died for you. It's free. It's not easy. But that's the gospel. Are you, are you following me? Now, Paul says in Roman that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. Once I share the gospel, I rest my case. In other words, once I share the gospel, it's over. I don't try to convince people. I don't try to fight. I share the gospel and I trust that the gospel is the power of God for salvation. That the gospel will change their heart. 
And it might not be right at that second. They might go fight with it in their inner man and come back the next time. They might receive it right in this instant. But I don't fight that fight. I don't force people to raise their hand. I don't do that anymore. Even when I preach in churches, I never finish anymore saying, you got to run to the altar right now. I respect people who do that, and I, I love them. But when I preach the gospel, I end by saying, this is the message of the gospel. Take it or leave it. It's your choice. And I let people choose. Because people have to come to the choice. This is mine. I receive it. I believe in it. And if it takes them a few days or a few years to process it, I'm going to, how are we doing on time? Are we okay? Oh, wow. Okay. Yes. Let me share that story. We're going to take a break. So, the hardest person in the world that I preached the gospel to was not a Muslim, was not an atheist. It was my dad. I mean, if you think I'm hard-headed, my dad is 10 times hard-headed than me. Um, and my dad rejected completely the gospel. He mocked me when I became a Christian. He laughed at me when I said I'm going to be a preacher. He tried to forbid me from going to seminary because he knew, you know, you can make so much money in the secular world. Why are you limiting your potential? I'm his only child. So, I mean, it was World War III at my house. Every day I came back from seminary. But for nine years, every day I prayed for him. And for nine years, every day, when he asked me, I responded with the gospel. I never changed the story and kept sharing the gospel. And he kept rejecting it. But I never stopped. I was like, Lord, I don't care how long it's going to take. I ain't going to stop praying for that brother. He's my dad. <laughs> I, I want him to receive the gospel. One day, one day, my mom got so sick. And after 10 days in the hospital, the doctor called us and said, there's nothing else we can do for her. Just come pick her up. It's better that she rests in peace at, at her house. And she was young. She was not that old. That day, it was a Saturday, the next morning, my dad came to church, the church where I pastored. I was 19 years old, young man. He came to my church. Um, I'm sorry, I was a little bit older than that. I'm confusing the day. Regardless, he came to my church, and I'm preaching the gospel like I always do. And he came to the front with tears in his eye, and he said, if your God can save your mom... I want to believe in him today. And the whole leadership team and I hugged him and we prayed together. And from there we went to the hospital to check on mom. And mom was sitting by the bedside with her uh, carry-on fixed and ready to go home. 100% completely healed. And nobody could explain it. And my dad looked at me and said, I want you to baptize me in water. Your God is real. And I had the honor of baptizing my dad in water. But it took me nine years. Some people take time to process the gospel. That's okay. It's not my job. I preach the gospel and I rest my case. I don't argue. I don't fight. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. My job is to preach it. Their job is to decide what they want to do with it. Amen.